Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How are you? How are you doing? It is, it's like a long weekend for a bunch of people who will be our listeners, but not everybody. Not me. How are you doing this maybe long weekend? Not me. <laughs> not me either. <laughs> this is honestly tomorrow, Monday, yesterday when you're listening, is my favorite of two days of the whole year working because everybody's off except Quebec. <laughs> so no one bothers me. <laughs> well, great. So it's it's almost like holiday. It's a kind of holiday. It's an amazing holiday. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. I am great. Last week, I was in Whitehorse for the first time. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, everybody knows this already because I recorded from Whitehorse um, last week, but I just want to say, you know, like in the in the day afterwards, we got to to speak to a high school, to visit Carcross First Nation, to have a meal with some amazing people. And Nora, there we've got a lot of supporters uh, up in up in Whitehorse. And I just wanted to say hello to all of the people uh, that I met. If you're listening this week, you are all so lovely. Thank you for welcoming me uh in town and gosh like it's it's really cool up there Nora uh we should maybe try to make a trip at some point because there's lots of great supporters up there and plus I kind of have to go back because though I tried very hard I did not get to see the lights (gasps) uh yes the northern lights are definitely something that you have you ever seen them before I have never seen the Northern Lights and I, I was really hoping no. I would be able to see it on that trip and it just didn't work out uh, that that time. So, uh, you know, it just means I, I have to go back, which is not a bad thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, you definitely, definitely have to go back. One of my most favorite memories of Christmas Eve uh, one night in Timmins when I was a kid was walking home from the church to my grandparents' house where there was a big party and the Northern Lights being up in the sky. And it was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You can see the Northern Lights in Timmins? Sandy, I have seen the Northern Lights in Georgetown, Ontario. <laughs> Stop it. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah, the conditions have to be right. But I remember we were driving home one night after uh, my parents had come to pick me and a friend up from a party in Milton. And Georgetown and Milton are like 20 minutes apart, but you have to drive on country roads. And the Northern Lights were out and it was so shocking to see them so far south that my parents like pulled the car onto the, onto the shoulder and, and jumped out of the car. It was like one o'clock in the morning, pitch dark outside. My friend was like, what are your parents doing? And I'm like, you gotta get out of the car. There's the Northern Lights. And she was like, no way. And she just sat in the car afraid. Uh, no, that would have been me too. That's <laughs> why is, why is, why is your friend not wowed by uh, celestial miracles? Like that's, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's an appropriate response. I It was. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, because my parents have, well, my father's from the north and my, my parents have lived in different parts of northern Ontario a bunch of times in their lives. And so it was like, oh, my God, it's the Northern Lights. We've got to come check this out. So that was pretty amazing. They weren't very strong. I mean, I've seen them stronger in northern Saskatchewan. But, yeah, you'll have to go back to Whitehorse. And I, I would love to go to Whitehorse, too. And I know that there's some folks that have kind of floated the idea of doing something. So Whitehorse, Edmonton as well, we might be working on something coming sooner rather than later in 
Edmonton. But Mm -hmm. and I should also say, because I was in Victoria this past week, people also were in touch with me about doing something in Victoria. So if you want to help us, I know if you want to help us do a live show in one place that you are located, listen, all we need is a little bit of local support. We finance it ourselves. We do the ticketing ourselves. And often we manage the whole booking ourselves too. But if we have local supporters to do promotion and help get the word out, and honestly, if you can cover some costs too, that would be amazing because we have been losing money on our live shows, but it's been worth it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, we definitely lose money on our live shows. Yeah. But it is. Yeah, it's totally worth it. Just get in touch with us at Sandy and Nora at ProtonMail.com and uh, let's see what we can do. Nora, I, I think there is some news that I, I that we should like um, soberly take in this week. We had previously asked, you know, like, what is the threshold? What is it going to take? How many lives until Canada um, does the right thing and demands mm-hmm. an immediate ceasefire? And we we now have the answer to that question. Yes. Yeah, we do. We do. It's uh, 100,000 dead, missing or injured because Canada, Australia and New Zealand have finally called on pretty clear terms. There wasn't too many weasel words in this statement uh, for Israel to stop its siege of Rafa. Now, of course, this is this is something that, um, you know, like we want, you know, we want Canada to be putting on this pressure, but we shouldn't forget like how long this took. We should be critical of how long that it took. Um, the policymakers who made it take this long should suffer consequences for how long that this took, because there is not much politically that is different between um, when they could have initially called it, when some other countries started initially calling it way back in October and now, except for the amount of people who have been killed and the heinous strategies that have been used uh, by Israel in their campaign of ethnic cleansing and genocide. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's how long it takes. That is, that is what this, this, this country is. Um, in its uh, support for settler colonialism, um, that is what it's willing to ignore. We know now mm-hmm. uh, it's terrible. Yeah. And of course, you know, uh, in the last week where this information was broken by Alex Kosh at the Maple that Canada has upped its arms exports to Israel since October 7th uh, to a level that has not actually been seen before. No Canadian media have actually reported on this. Yeah, I did hear that on the Daily News this week that um, Nora uh, discussed that that no other mainstream Canadian place has talked about this. And that seems like a big, big loss, especially, um, you know, given what we had discussed last week about what the where the media is going. It just seems like such a huge um Uh, like dereliction of duty that we wouldn't be talking about this. And, you know, like the parliament is sitting right now, people are in the streets. It is, it should be a national conversation. Uh, And it's, it's very, very bizarre that that would not be uh, something that is, is, is being discussed, but, you know, good on the maple for uh, dropping that story but like, what the fuck is going on mm. with the rest of what we can expect to know about the way that this country is operating? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's especially confusing. I mean, confusing. We, we know why. We, we know why. Because Canada is fully actually in support of what Israel is doing. And this is underpinning the biggest, you know, difficult points of us having to then go, well, why, why, why? But we know why. But it is so confusing and, and, and interesting to watch the way that journalists have to tap dance around these issues. Whereas, like, the most obvious connection between Canada and a country that is at war is a question of arms. And that has been how Ukraine has been talked about from the start. What is Canada giving to them? How much? What are our commitments? We're very proud of it, blah, blah, blah. This should be the most obvious story that you can write about Canada and Israel. Like it's literally, it doesn't get more straightforward than this. And yet journalists are allergic to writing about the actual material support that Canadians and our tax dollars are lending to this genocidal campaign of fucking horror. Uh, it is interesting, though, that it's, you know, again, the dying grasps of a media establishment that has fallen so far out of how average people understand their their place in the world and where average people get their news, that it's just going to continue to get worse. And, you know, as I said, I was in Victoria last week and I was talking to some folks about media and what their concerns about journalism is and, and why they don't feel like they can trust certain sources. And these were union folks whose politics were, you know, probably better than certainly not voting for Pierre Pauly ever. I'm not sure that anyone was dyed in the wool, liberal or NDP, uh, but very kind of average person views from the ground and no one had faith in mainstream media. No one. Everyone was was confused and, and really questioning me on why this? Why this? What's going on here? What makes this happen? Who makes this decision? How is this connected? And it occurred to me, like, I don't actually think that journalists understand how big the chasm is between them and average people right now. Mm-hmm. Gosh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's fucking terrible. And another another like example of how how far media has fallen in this country also happened this week um, with respect to the uh, protests that happened in Toronto. I mean, we've talked before on this podcast about how uh, media has kind of turned into this this sort of uh, mouthpiece of the government, or perhaps we should say returned to you know their original uh, purposes of mouthpieces of, of certain political parties. But you know, um, this this week, uh, politicians remarked on the protest, uh, hands off Rafa, uh, that went through uh, Toronto's core which, you know, if you've ever attended a protest in Toronto, um, you, you're going to pass a hospital. <laughs> yep. They're just, um, that's where they are. They're like right down um, near uh, Queen's Park. And there's a, there's a hospital called Mount Sinai that uh, Justin Trudeau, Jagmeet Singh, and other politicians remarked on that it was targeted um, by, uh, anti-Semitic protesters. And, uh, it one absolutely wasn't, but what's odd is the way that that sort of thing was reported on. Like it, it should have in, in any sort of like fair uh, reporting, um, s someone would maybe say, okay, the, the prime minister said this, but s would also say having done this beat before, very strange that anyone would say this 
uh, given the fact that, you know, the what it seems to be is that this this hospital was not targeted because fucking there's a bunch of hospitals there. People were walking by um, and like a, a Spider-Man figure um, who was climbing all sorts of uh, different uh, structures all over Toronto as part of the of the protest climbed that hospital and flew a flag all of that became like such massive news juxtaposed with all of the 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 fucking death and destruction the ground invasion um that was going on at the time that we were uh recording last week and it just seemed like such a bizarre like ugly thing that the news is focusing on the Super Bowl and like the targeting of targeting quote unquote of uh, uh, Mount Sinai where no one is hurt and uh, what's happening in, in Rafa couldn't be more gruesome. Oh, totally, and and not just Rafa, but at the same time, Israeli snipers were shooting at the Nasser Medical Complex. I mean, like, the the juxtaposition between these issues, I mean, a lot of people highlighted it very, very clearly and are right to have highlighted the, the difference between how we talk about hospitals in, in, in Canada and hospitals in Gaza and how hospitals have been targeted from pretty much the start of this campaign. But I think that it's really important, too, to just focus on how easily the political establishment was was pulled by a complete fucking lie. And a lie that sounds like if you don't know protests in Toronto, it sounds like, well, how could you possibly accidentally march by Mount Sinai? And it's like uh, you actually have to try to not march past those hospitals. Like yeah. it's like literally yeah. you, you w- w- during the G20, the whole area outside of Mount Sinai and Toronto General and the hospitals that are all on uh, that street on University Avenue were full of cars belonging to cops. And do you remember this? There was like a thousand vans that the cops all came out of and they were all blocking out the street that is right out front of Mount Sinai. I mean, it is a super normal place to protest, especially because just over from there is the uh, U.S. consulate. Uh, which is, of course, why the protest was in the vicinity. Now, you've got people like Bonnie Crombie, who's going to be probably the next premier of Ontario, saying that people infiltrated the hospital and never actually apologized to say that she just made that up, that that was a straight up lie. And and you also have, uh, you know, columnists, columnists like Marsha Lederman at the Globe and Mail saying, well, maybe we should just ban protests outside of hospitals at all. You shouldn't be able to walk by a hospital in a protest. And like this obsession with with clamping down freedom of speech, uh, especially as it relates to Gaza right now. But of course, it can be related to anything. It's just Gaza is going to be what is used because the, the Canadian state is totally on the side of Israel, despite what they say publicly. And because, of course, there's so many sustained actions all over Canada happening right now for Gaza. Of course, this is going to be the focal point. But like the increasing drive to stop people from protesting, the incredible sums that the bylaw officers are handing out to people in Ottawa while freedom freaks are still freaking protesting. It's it's very, very frightening and it's all very predictable. I think that no one is surprised to see any of this stuff. But like just the straight up lying about this is so irritating. (laughs) I mean, it's dangerous and it's bad and all that stuff. But for me, I find it the most irritating. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. 
But I think we probably have some people to thank before we get into what our topic is going to be today, yes. which is some uh, some more federal politics, because that was federal politics. We're going to be talking <laughs> about Pharmacare. Yeah. Or did you when you said that, did you put your air quotes on? You mean Pharmacare? Yeah. Like Pharmacare. Is that more obvious? <laughs> We're going to yeah, talk about good. farm care. <laughs> okay, so before we get into that, some people to thank. Nora, tell us who they are. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much to folks that donated this week. I mean, there's a lot of you, so I'll just get right into it. You are all amazing. Um, and for anybody that's wondering, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash Sandy and Nora. So this week, thank you so, 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 so much to Jeanette, Brian, Nicole, Brady, Sean, F, Erica, Adam, Lauren, Kate, Madeline, Josh, Duncan, H.M., Amber, Teresa, Lisa, Ellen, Morgan, and Persephone. Oh, my gosh. Thanks, folks, so much. Wow, that's so many folks. Thank you so much, uh, everyone, for all of your support. We couldn't make this happen without you. No, we couldn't. And you know what, Sandy, I was talking to someone last week who is like kind of like the granddaddy of podcasting in Canada, someone who hasn't been around the podcasting world for a bit because he had to get out of the hustle culture and the grind culture and now has a a, a proper job. But he was saying like, it's so incredible that we've continued to do what we do. And I think the only way that we've been able to do it is because we do it so cheaply. Like we do it as cheap as possible. And even though we do it as cheap as possible, we still obviously need the support because it just, it, it, it it costs money. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It's funny. We do, we do do this uh, like super, super cheaply. And it's, it's funny because every once in a while I get, uh, and I know that you get this too, people who are like, I, I'll come on as a guest onto your podcast and it's like, okay, <laughs> that would make it less cheap. <laughs> you know? Um, we're, we're not like totally against the idea of having people a, as guests, but we can't do that right now with the, the level that we're at. So maybe at some point in the future we could, but for now it's just me, it's just Nora and it's just us ranting together, which, you know, and it's you. Uh, listening to us. And we love that. So thank you for the support. Nora, before we get into the the pharmacare stuff, just real quick, did you see that there was, um, there's been like uh, enough cases of measles in Canada this year uh, compared to last year at the same time to make Health Canada a little bit worried about some, some outbreaks? Uh, I have seen that. Yeah. I just, I'm just mentioning it, just dropping it because I just, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, impacts of the pandemic and like all of the politics around the pandemic, what happened during the pandemic and what continues to happen with health policy um, uh, with, you know, like a, a, a disease that is still ravaging. I just, you know, like th- there's things that we can't foresee and things that we could. And this is one that we could foresee and it's going to have some really, really terrifying consequences. So anyway, uh, measles uh, is not a good thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible disease. And it's got me a little bit nervous. And I know that these outbreaks are happening in Europe and in the US too. So I'm, you know, I'm not feeling good about it. 
No, no. And the thing about measles, it's like like the most important people to get vaccinated against measles, is of course, are children who are not at all immune to it. You get the MMR vaccine when you're young. Now, adults, your vaccines, our vaccines stay pretty good for a long time, but it is always worthwhile getting that booster. Now, it can be a bit difficult in Canada to get a measles booster. If you've tried, you will know that some doctors will say that it's not necessary if you are really concerned about it, you can try maybe going to a travel clinic and getting a measles shot that way. But uh, the real key here is 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 getting as many people who are not at all vaccinated to be vaccinated. So, you know, talk with your family and your friends and make sure people understand that there's no harms at all with the vaccine. And in fact, the harms are enormous if you are not vaccinated against measles. Okay, Nora, guess what? Ooh, 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 I can't wait. What is it? The NDP has awoken. Sorry, they've... They have risen. risen. It's not even Easter yet. Out of... Out of... (laughs) Out of the slumber. They are saying, you know, that the, the, the deal, it could be off if the liberals do not make good on pharmacare. And you know what? It's just, you know, like a almost time for uh, what would be like the natural progression of a of a government in terms of like a four-year term it's almost there so so you know yay I guess or something but the the promise on pharmacare the NDP it's coming to to the end of of their patients their patience is being tested and so, you know, in December, we heard uh, from the liberals and the NDP that a bill would be tabled mm-hmm. by March. By my count, that's getting pretty close. <laughs> so we should be getting a universal pharmacare plan in this country. Congratulations, Nora. You know what? It's so funny is if you look up the like the last time this was a conversation, uh, you'll get articles from August 2023. And back in August 2023, Liberal Health Minister Mark Holland, who had just been given the portfolio from Jean-Yves Duclos, and he was saying that he had planned to table a new pharmacare legislation in the fall. Oh. Hmm. In the fall. Well. And you know the nice thing about, like, the internet, although it's not nice because it's like, you know, we act as if there's no history on the internet. This headline literally says, new health minister says pharmacare legislation is coming this fall. Now, the fall has passed and there's no legislation. So this article is 100% false. (laughs) You'd think that there'd be some sort of program to, like, mine old journalism to update it and be like, oh, yeah, this never happened. They fucking lied. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that or, you know, like, just someone to... Maybe someone working the exact same beat (laughs) to say, hey, was this a lie? And update that story and create a new one that that pretends that history exists. I don't know. I don't know if we're there right now. No? No, I don't think we're there right now. Okay, maybe not. It's it's better if we have no idea of what the hell's come before us, right? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. So Jugmeet Singh, the man with the plan about to deliver a big plan to the people for March 1st, which is very soon. What are the prospects here, Sandy? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think we're actually all going to have a pharmacare plan? Uh, me? Do I think that? Me, the eternal optimist? Absolutely not. <laughs> My optimism does not <laughs> extend to the Canadian government. Um, but 
I, I think it's useful to, to like read what, um, what the NDP is saying. Cause maybe there's some clues okay. in there. Sure. Yeah. So, okay. All right. I'm, I'm just going to read out a quote. That? I have, I have some of it. Great. Okay. Quote, we're getting very close to a final position. Well, I hope so. It's March 1st coming up. <laughs> there we go. And when we submit our final position on this, that will be it. <laughs> okay, what else? Okay, that's quote number okay. one. Uh, so, that, I mean, that's useful. Uh, quote number two, the liberals will have to decide what side they are on. Are they on the side of the big pharma billionaires who are ripping off Canadians or are they on families, the side of workers, the side of women, the side of people who need medication covered? We'll see. Did they just start negotiating? I thought they were coming <laughs> to the end of negotiations because no. if they don't know that bit, I, I, it seems like negotiations are going poorly if they're not sure if this is going to end up being like four billionaires or four people. That seems rough. Uh, I, I don't know, Nora. <laughs> so the the one kind of interesting thing about the left, uh, the the extremely broad, 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 broad left in Canada is that if you are talented at negotiations, you accept a higher salary from a union than doing negotiations for the federal NDP. Mm. Generally. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know who their negotiators are on this, but that certainly does not sound like a position that you would take at the end of this playing hardball. So maybe let's back up this supply, uh, supply and blowing supply and management. What is a supply and command sucking and giving agreement, whatever this thing was signed in a back room. Members of parliament in the NDP caucus did not know about it. A lot of caucus members come from places where the fuck Trudeau messaging is very powerful and very strong. And so the idea that the liberals got a blank check from the NDP to rule as if they had a majority government for the last however long it's been, two years, three years, two and a half years, three years, I don't know, is pretty stunning. And it's actually like, I think that it was a master coup that the liberals organized and that the NDP is so pathetic that they were like, coup me, baby. Yes, let's do this. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's been pretty bad to not have um, the, the holders of the balance of power use that balance of power during some really critical, critical times for Canadian politics, um, bo both like foreign politics, as we've discussed before. It could have been used like this balance of power could have been used uh, to put more pressure um, on Canada in its uh, relations, uh, ongoing relations internationally, and with all sorts of stuff that is happening um, domestically. And of course, you know, this is one of those things. And it's really, really bizarre that um, that this is the language that we're seeing on this, because to me, honestly, Nora, what that spells, and there's, there's even like, that quote that I read out was what uh, was said at a press conference. Um, the, the press release that's come out seems to suggest like that the big 
um, uh, fight that they're having is over contraceptives, but it doesn't tell us much of anything mm-hmm. else. All it says is that uh, the liberals might be, you know, uh, more interested in their in continuing their scandals and more interested in supporting um, these big businesses and so on. But it's not telling us what's happening with the pharmacare plan. And like you would think that this type of a of an announcement, which happened on the 16th, uh, would would be a part of like some sort of strategic plan. Like, are you trying to pressure the liberals into something? Like, are are you trying to get your messaging straight before something comes out? Because it's really it's really confusing. If the messaging is that potentially the liberals are just going to be supporting billionaires, then I, I'm sorry that that spells like a, a massive failure in this agreement altogether. And you should just pull the plug. Like, what are you waiting for? What's going to happen in the next week? Nothing. Right. But if, if there's something else, like I just cannot tell based on the the like language that's coming out, which just spells to me that I don't think we're going to be getting anything of substance. I, I certainly don't think that a national pharmacare plan of the type that we have been promised by the liberals since like what, 2014 now <laughs> is anywhere close to happening. Yeah. And I think that that's actually a really important point that this was actually a liberal promise and like the NDP doing the bare minimum to force them to get a liberal po- promise passed is just so, I don't know, I guess apt. It's so apt of where we are right now. It makes so much sense. It, it it's it's so boring. No one cares actually about doing what's right. It's all about saving their asses. The NDP has not wanted to go to election because they have absolutely no money for an election. And this was all about saving their ass for two and a half or three years where they didn't actually have to go through the pressure of are they going to bring down the government over, I don't know, record high fucking military spending, maybe not record high, but extremely high, higher than it's been in the last couple of decades maybe record high. Fuck. I don't know. Uh, or are they going to use their balance of power to do anything around Gaza? Right. Which we know is even popular if you want to take it on the most crass political lines, but no, they always had this agreement to cover their asses. And I don't know if you saw this, but you know, the journalists were putting to saying like, okay, so if the, the, the agreement's off, does that mean we head to an election? He's like, Oh no, no, no. We'll just vote on things as they come. What? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So that's my favorite part of this, which is like, no, uh, like the, the key here is avoiding election at all costs. It isn't to do fucking anything for average Canadians. Singh is not talented as a politician, like in general, and he's certainly not talented enough to outsnake the snakiest party there is. And so, yeah, like what do we have? Well, we have this magnificently cynical gem of a talking point. And you can imagine, I mean, I can imagine knowing the folks in the room having this conversation, how this came up. So the only thing that they've said is that there might be some medications that will be paid for uh, by the public program. And one of those medications is birth control. Now you mentioned it already, but I want to read the quote, because it's just, to me, the most cynical use of the abortion issue in the fucking world. And it's bringing the NDP and the liberals together on on the thing that the liberals love to do the most, which is use abortion in the most cynical fucking way possible. So what uh, Singh said in the statement is... 
Quote, it's something we've seen a lot of worry about, the backstepping and the erosion of a woman's right to choose out people's ability to control their own body. And there must be missing a word with out there because that doesn't make any sense. So anyway, Singh said, pointing to some states enacting abortion bans in the U.S. since the fall of Roe. Quote, this is about ensuring that we don't just say that people have the right to do what they want with their body, that we back that right up with a concrete step. So tearing down the barriers that prevent some people from accessing contraception, unquote. Now, maybe maybe the brainiacs in the NDP don't know how pregnancy works, but birth control doesn't give you an abortion. (laughs) Like... (laughs) That if you really wanted to do the abortion oh thing, God. at least try to get the abortion drugs publicly covered. There are abortion drugs. We know that. This is this is actually what's making abortion more accessible than it's ever been. But making it about a woman's right to choose and therefore they need accessible contraception. I mean, OK, but under a pharmacare program, all of that would be covered. All of it, the abortion pill, contraception pills, diabetes pills, cancer pills, fucking different kinds of eye drops, they would all be covered. So we're obviously already being primed for the bare minimum of something that can't even be called a program by using the most cynical thing possible, which is like the fear that we're losing abortion access. Oh, God, (laughs) that is uh, that's really quite something. That's really stunning. Um, yeah, what a gaffe. Uh, and it should be treated as such. Yeah, Nora, like, what is a farm care program? I, I mean, I was under the impression that what that meant was that when you were prescribed necessary drugs for, for the care that you need, that, it, that you would, it would be covered by um, an insurance that was available uh, either provincially or managed federally somehow. Like, that's what I assumed. Is that not what's happening here? Like, is this, are we just, like, going to to have, like, five drugs mm. potentially covered and that's it? Like, what is what is this? Because, gosh, I bet, I bet, listeners, if you were to go into the the archives on this, you would have heard us speak about um, the latest Pharmacare Promise and say that it was very likely that nothing was going to happen, but something was going to be announced in the final year of the liberals' reign, and it would only come into fruition if they were elected again. Uh, But Nora, it doesn't even seem like they're doing that. (laughs) No. It seems like they're not even going to do that. Like that, that, it seems like the prediction on that piece, Nora, we should have got been even more cynical (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, because if 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 I'm reading into these quotes correctly, um, there isn't even going to be a full plan announced um, that could be uh, become a voters issue for mm-hmm. the next for the upcoming election. Well, they're all like trying to stick handle this. Right. So the liberals are on a bus where the wheels are coming off and everybody knows that. And scandal after scandal. Oh, my God. Like, I'm sure you've seen this stuff about GC strategies and how much money we've been giving this private company to do different, I don't know, IT work uh, within the federal government. 
it all looks very, very bad. It all looks very, very corrupt. And the liberals absolutely will need to have some sort of popular thing here. But they will absolutely not allow the NDP to own it because there are not that many ridings, but there are some ridings where the liberals and the NDP are head to head. Uh, there are some ridings where the NDP and the conservatives are head to head and the liberals might want to come up the middle. And so the liberals are going to want to come across as being the most reasoned, the most uh, capable and the most uh, able to actually pull this off in that deal, the NDP comes up nowhere because they can say that they push the liberals to do this. But at the end of the day, the liberals will be still the ones doing it. The program will not be sufficient to call it a pharmacare program. I mean, it's been clear from the start that that wasn't going to happen. And then the NDP is going to have to salvage basically fucking nothing to try and demonstrate its incredible political prowess and now make us your next government, which is obviously like fantasy thinking. So it's it's a downward spiral for both parties and different kinds of spirals in different kinds of ways. But yeah, I guess it makes sense that the NDP probably wanted to have a couple of uh, months to be able to take the government down on their own terms, though I don't think that they'll actually do that either. Maybe they'll try to untie themselves from the government to allow the conservatives to take them down so that the NDP can keep their hands clean. That might be a fucking possibility. I don't know. But it's it's very, very boring politics and very annoying, 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 annoying politics because it's like you guys are incapable. Like you are fully, fully incapable. And this entire sucking and blowing agreement has demonstrated that. And all you've done is given the liberals carte blanche to do shitty stuff to do highly, highly shitty stuff that is the undoing of their own party for now. Meanwhile, have you heard about what's um, happening in Florida with respect to purchasing a bunch of Canadian uh, pharmaceuticals in order to provide like more affordable drugs to Floridians? <laughs> it's like, what could be the worst possible thing that an American state could be doing right now in Canada's drug market? <laughs> Uh, using up all the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that seems like, I don't know, seems like kind of bad. Why don't you enlighten the, the people into what's going on? Yeah, so um, because obviously uh, the, the way that um, competition and uh, around pharmaceutical drugs works in the United States, it's like impossible to get um, drugs that are affordable in any measure and that it impacts um, the states who are providing Medicare or some measure of Medicare to their um, to the people who live in their states. And so Florida has sought and has gotten um, the first step towards approval uh, through the FDA to bulk purchase drugs from Canada in order to provide more affordable drugs to their folks. Now, of course, the big issue here, you know, besides the fact that, you know, we don't even have our own uh, pharmacare program to be able to provide uh, necessary. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute. Does that mean that Medicare is covering <laughs> drugs? <laughs> you can't get covered in Canada. Mm, right. Um, uh, I don't know if they're covering them like completely free, <laughs> but uh, there's certainly, you know, like the uh, uh, one of the ways that the that the government uh, in Florida is providing such drugs to, to its to its people. So yeah, like that. This is like a hilarious issue to be happening at the same time as the pharmacare issue. Um, we don't even have pharmacare, and uh, you know, opening up the market to to this huge. Um, a huge demand uh, from the United States uh, could be disastrous for us. I mean, 
you know, there are, we do know in some ways how this could go um, based on like the demand for a, a, a drug that supports uh, people who have diabetes um, and also uh, has been making the news because it supports uh, weight loss in a way that uh, is, is very, very popular, which is like the Ozempic drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, every province has some sort of assistance with with drugs. And, you know, Quebec technically has a pharmacare program itself already. Although as a person in Quebec, I can't say that I really understand that because I do pay for the drugs that I have to pay for, I have to get. But, you know, in Ontario, for example, there is the Ontario Drug Benefit, and it covers about 5,000 drugs for people who are over the age of 65 or living in long-term care facilities or under the age of 25 and don't have coverage or who are on welfare or on a disability supports. So this does actually already exist, which is another kind of thing in the whole pharmacare discussion that I wish I knew more about and I wish I heard more about from journalists about what a national program would look like to, in the in the interface with these provincial programs. But anyway, so... Back at the end of January, the Ontario government announced that it was delisting Ozempic from that 5,000 uh, list of drugs that were covered under the drug support program because they were worried about shortages. That means that anybody that needed this drug uh, who would have previously just been given it under the plan actually have to prove that they really need it based on some sort of clinical criteria. So if that happens with Ontario's plan and uh, that's just one drug that became popular for many different reasons, but also because of like advertising and all of the attention that it was given and the promises that it would that it would you know make people lose weight. If anything happens like that to pump a different kind of drug, I mean, it really does make it quite fragile for the system. So does that mean that Florida gets access to some number of drugs in Canada? And let's say there's this big run on, I don't know, a horse dewormer, for example, because it'll get rid of COVID, that all of a sudden uh, people that have uh, different kinds of parasitic, parasitic worms like will have a shortage of their worm medication. I mean, it just is like, this seems very, very bad. It does. Now we should say that, the, like, again, that this is just like a first step has been crossed in terms of like the Food and Drug Administration in the United States allowing this to happen. And Canada, for its part, has said that they will continue to take, quote, all necessary measures to protect the drug supply in Canada, unquote. <laughs> And to make sure that Canadians, quote, will continue to have access to the medications they need when they need them, unquote. So this is um, sure. a statement from Federal Health Minister Mark Holland, which is like, I mean, you can say that, but that's not the case right now. That's why pharmacare is an issue. So bad quote. Um, anyway, <laughs> they, that's what they've said. Uh, but you know, like, I don't know, we haven't been doing so good on, um, on pharmacare or protecting drugs, the net or making sure that people have access to the drugs that they need, uh, so far. And, and this to me, uh, it spells bad things coming in the future. 
Yeah, well, it all kind of goes in, into the general like badness of the corporate control of our healthcare systems. You know, Jagmeet Singh talking about the friendships that the government has, the liberals have with their big pharma buddies or whatever. I mean, it's true. It's very, very true that the liberals are extremely close to big pharma. I mean, the NDP would be close to them too if they could, but you know, they can't. So they can just shell about how the government is close to the big pharma. But they are close to big pharma and big pharma is a giant problem in this country. We don't produce enough of our drugs. We don't have enough control over the drugs that we need. There could be industries that we are creating in Canada to have a better control of our drugs. We can pour money into research and development to do better improvements to different kinds of drugs or whatever. There's no vision to actually creating proper systems. And so instead, all we have is literally handing the federal government a blank check under the guise that they will create a national pharmacare program, which we've just know they will not do. You know, I've, I've been, I was writing a, a lot about when Canada created its first public pension program. And that was the result of a, of an agreement between the liberals of Mackenzie King and two labor MPs the 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 labor mp said look if we'll give you your majority if you give us a pension program and they passed they gave them a majority in, in 1925, and by 1927, Canada's first pension program was created. And it wasn't what we ended up with. It was a start, but it wasn't like a weaselly, this kind of schemey, like liberals of 2024 kind of way that they operate, especially with the corporate interests. It was the foundation of a pension program that was done thanks to an agreement with the Labour Party. Now, those folks were radicals. That's not the same kind of politicians that we have today. It's certainly not the same party of the NDP. So I don't know. It's one of these things where it's just like, can you guys just get on with it? Like, can you just, can March 1st just happen so that the NDP can be like, success, we're so great. Oh, vote for us. Oh, no one will because the liberals are the ones that did it. Or, oh, the liberals are such liars. They give us shit. Oh, we're breaking this agreement, but we're still going to pass the budget because we don't have a fucking war chest because we can't and we can't go to election. Like, we know where this ends up. We know where this ends up. And at the end of the day, what happens to our drug costs? Not a whole lot. We should publish this episode with a spoiler alert. Oh, yeah? What's that? You just gave it. That was, <laughs> that was the spoiler. <laughs> the, next, the next episode of, uh, of Canadian Politics. 